I'm Kate Daniels. As we celebrate a very special day, Mother's Day, I wish all moms and those who have mom roles a most wonderful day. Part of celebrating motherhood is this very important conversation on foster care and adoption. Paulette Caswell is the director of Bethany, a private agency serving children in our community since 1944, over 70 years. It's so painful to think about children who don't have a family for whatever reason. How might we step up and step in and be a solution? Let's find that out as we meet Paulette and learn about what is currently happening with Bethany. Paulette Caswell, good morning. Good it morning. is so wonderful to have you back with us once again. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. You bring us such important stories and information. And on this Mother's Day, it's so ideal to have you with us from Bethany Christian Services to talk about adoption because that is such a significant part, I feel, or maybe sometimes a little forgotten part of Mother's Day. And I, I'm so happy to be highlighting that today. Thank you. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you have lots of moms. In fact, on Sunday last week, we celebrated National Foster Mother's Day. And it's a day where we kind of highlight the moms who take in kids who need substitute moms. And um, we want to give them a special day. And it's a day that started in Los Angeles County. But Mother's Day is a day we want our kids to have moms. It's important. It's one of those natural, normal things that every kid has, right? Or at least you think every kid has. Yes, and that's not the case. It's maybe easy to take for granted because I don't know the majority, but certainly a significant number of us do have mothers. Right. And we know the importance of that role in our lives, even if we can come to kind of, you know, tense parts sometimes. Mothers, we absolutely have to have them in our lives. Absolutely. And imagine not, or imagine never. Oh. And for some of our kids around the world or in our local communities have never experienced that. And at Bethany, our goal is that every child experiences the love of a mom and a dad. And so on Mother's Day today, we're talking about the importance of that and how many kids don't have moms and dads here in our local community and around the world. So that's our topic today. Which is terrific because it also is that the month of May. It's National okay. Foster Care Month. So one of the differences at you know that you can really look at is sometimes there's kids in foster care that they do have moms that are struggling in being moms. And they really need help in parenting. And the state removes the kids because they're compromised in their parenting. And so they need substitute moms, which is why we celebrated National Foster Moms Month last week. And so, you know, National Foster Care Month is to celebrate individuals and families that take in that role as substitute moms and dads for kids. And it can be tough because those kids come from families that are tough. Around the country, there are around 400,000 children in foster care. That's an amazing number when you think about it. Yes. In Washington State, back in November, there were around 8,700 kids in foster care. To compare that, I started my career in Los Angeles County back in 1999, and we had 55,000 kids in foster care. 
which is an amazing, incredible number to think about. But Los Angeles County has 10 million people in it. So Washington State doesn't have that many people in it. But yet thinking of averages and the numbers that we have, it seems to average out in terms of state by state. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we definitely are in great need. Absolutely. And we really, really are. There are kids that stay the night in hotels with social workers because there are not enough families in our local communities. And there's really not enough families in the urban areas which is sad. So kids end up having to be moved outside of their local communities and out into the more rural areas. So what we don't have is foster parents in Seattle and foster parents in Everett and foster parents in Tacoma for kids, which is more kids are removed from those areas because there's more families in those areas. We don't have families, as many families getting removed from Roy Because Roy is a smaller community. But that's where we have more families that are willing to be foster parents, which is an interesting dynamic. There's a disproportionate number of families in the more smaller communities than there are in the more urban areas. Do you have an idea of why we have this challenge in our larger areas like Seattle? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think one of them has to do with in the more urban areas we're busier. Honestly, I think we live a busier life, and we that's my theory. I really don't know. But we don't think we have time for other people's stuff. Like, that's my theory. I always say when I've done foster parent training in the past, our cohort just doesn't have time for this, you know? But we need to make time. These are our kids. You know, one of the things I think about is if you knew a kid in your school needed somewhere to stay, would you take them in? Would you do it? You know, I ask that of you on the radio. You know, if one of your daughter's classmates needed a place to stay, would you take them in? And a lot of times I hear families say, well, it's not my business. And it's like, but it's a little girl and it's your daughter's friend. Then what if she could stay in her school and continue on the soccer team or continue on the basketball team? And I compel a lot of us to think about that. What's the right thing to do? Exactly. And so many of us just don't want to get involved. And that's a very Seattle thing to do or a very Northwest thing to do. We're very friendly, but we're not going to get into other people's business. And so we really do have a challenge of that. So in taking that as a good hypothetical situation, if there is a child that is a friend of one of our kids in the school, and we're a working family, both parents are working Is that an issue in terms of taking in a foster child? Is there some sort of a a parameter as to how much time you need to be in the home and be available to the kids? The state will actually cover the cost of childcare. Now, that being said, there's not always availability in facilities that will take the state subsidized childcare. But I haven't found it to be a huge issue. I used to work for the state, and the YMCAs take state-subsidized child care, and they'll usually take the kids in. But it is a matter of finding that facility and it being convenient for you. But is that what it's about? And that's my question. Is that what it's about? And I think sometimes we forget about that. At Bethany, we don't do traditional foster care. But there are a lot of agencies that do. And if somebody were to call us and say, I want to bring in a child, we'll refer you to the other agencies that do traditional foster care. 
what we do is foster care to adoption. There's a federal law called the Adoption and Safe Families Act. And basically what that says is birth parents have a timeline for how long they have to work on their issues or remedy what brought their children into foster care. And federal law says about 19 of the last 22 months of a child being into foster care, so about a year and a half. Washington State actually gives 12 months. Now, I'll be honest, it's usually not 12 months in Washington State. It's usually longer. But they have a timeline for how long they have to remedy what's going on in their life. Because we all know, and I think most of us would agree, the state is not the best parent. It's just not. And so a judge will make a decision that these kids need new parents. That's a layman's term, a way of saying it. But ultimately, the courts will terminate the birth parents' rights involuntarily. And so the children need adoptive families. So what we do is we we find adoptive families for kids. So we have a foster-to-adopt program. And we have families that will take infants in because there are indicators that the parents are more than likely than not to have the children return home. And there are certain ones. Some of the indicators are age, addiction, mental health issues, previous termination on other kids. However, the biggest need is for kids over the age of nine, sibling groups, Children of color, which is very, very sad to say, but that's the reality. Most families that come in to adopt are Caucasian. And so to have families who are Native American, African American, Latino would be huge to adopt because we just have a disproportionate number of families who are Caucasian adopting. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So we hope that we're getting out that message about the great need that there is. We have such a diverse community. We obviously need diverse foster families. Absolutely. And diverse adoptive families as well. Uh, Yes. But all of that. All of them. Yes. Absolutely. Our kids need families that look like them. Yes. And I certainly see mixed families, and I've seen that in my church where Caucasian families adopt children, I think even locally, who are of other ethnicities. And they're really wonderful blended families. And that's a good thing, but there are cases where it's more ideal, I guess, isn't it? It really is. I think for kids, in fact, research shows for kids to have parents who are of the same ethnicity does lead to a stronger cultural identity and a stronger internal identity, a family that if they are adopted outside of their ethnic background, they need to have strong support networks. So if if adoption's not for you, can you embrace a family that does adopt outside, you know, that is a blended family or a transracial adoptive family? Are you open to being a support network for them? There's other things you can do to support families. Can you be a mentor? and support the families because the reality is that the kids need role models because it can be very, very challenging. In international adoption, it's the same thing. We have a lot of mixed race, mixed culture families, and we want the kids to have a strong identity of who they are because our society sees them with what they look like. And if they don't understand how society sees them, it gets to be very challenging. And they don't know how to intermix 
and relate to their own ethnic culture. And that can be very challenging. There's such a need then for foster families and for adoptive families. What kind of educational classes, just uh, an orientation, an opening up of a conversation? Because someone may think, oh, well, maybe this would be good, but I really don't know enough. How do they go about finding out more? So on our website, which is bethany.org slash Washington, we have classes that they can come for meetings. We have one in Tacoma on May 9th. Um, at 6.30. So that is one option. And then we have one the third Tuesday um, in C- in Shoreline. So we have one in the North End, one in the South End, which is helpful. And it would talk about all three types of adoptions that we offer, which is hugely helpful. For foster care, you also have to take a class called the Caregiver Core. And it's a 24-hour class that really digs into what are the needs of foster children, what's the state system like. It's a good orientation to the state system. One of the things that I do hear a lot from families is why choose a private agency to go through foster care versus the state? Because the state, it's like we can go directly through the state. And it's like, yes, you can. And I agree, you can. And I like to say, but choose a private agency. And I used to say that when I worked for the state. And people are like, okay, so why? And I'm like, because you have an advocate with a private agency. You have a navigator, somebody to walk you through the process. Because when somebody becomes a social worker for the state, we always tell them, it's going to take you at least a year to understand this system. And that's when you work in the system full time, 40 hours a week, more like 60 hours a week, right? And it's going to take you a year to understand it. And even then, you're not an expert, right? You just understand it. As a foster family, you're taking care of kids that are associated with the system. So how are you ever going to be an expert in the system, right? Yes. So by having a private agency that you're working with, you have somebody who is maybe not an expert, but at least somebody who is much more familiar with the government system that you're associated with, somebody that can help you navigate those really tough waters. And and so you've got that partner to walk alongside that really difficult system with your kids. For example, we had a family who decided to take on a really highly special needs child who had a, a 16-year-old medically fragile child who had a unique medical condition. They had a son with the same medical condition. And so they were drawn to him and felt he needed a family. It was an amazing God story. And when they brought the child into their home, the state was like, well, you can get SSI and that's fine. The family actually lived in Portland. So they were just across the border into Oregon. And so they weren't going to give him foster care payments. And the family was like, okay, that's fine. And we're like, no, you're getting foster care payments. We licensed you. You're getting foster care payments. And the state of Washington was like, no, no, just take the SSI. And the foster care payment was $1,200. The SSI is $750. And I'm like, well, this child's still in your home until you have finalized your adoption. Let's get that six months of $1,200 because he's a highly medically fragile child. And they wouldn't have known any different had they not had us in their lives. The other thing that happened was he has siblings. And the state said, well, he doesn't know any different. What does it matter? And it's like, it's his family. And the the adoptive family said, I want him to know his siblings. It's important. 
And so we sent an email to the state saying, this is not okay. He is mentally there. He's just physically not there. He has a right to know his siblings. The condition he has is like cerebral palsy. And so we emailed the state and said, no, we want to get in touch with the adoptive families of his siblings. And so now they're in contact with two of the adoptive families. And so they're like, now we have an extended family. Exactly. But that's the benefit of a private agency because the state just said no. But we were able to say, no, that's not how this works. But a family may not know how to push up against that very bureaucratic system. And may not even really have the awareness to ask questions. Correct. It's just such new territory. Right. right. Or they may not even know how to or who to ask or how to move up the chain or what that looks like. And as a private agency, we have that capacity to do those. And we know how to do that. So in, in sharing that beautiful story, Paulette, yeah. thank you for that. And thus letting us know about the intricacies of the system. I think that perhaps also should be something that comforts prospective foster care families or adoptive families Absolutely. on how to navigate the system, that there is this kind of excellent support. Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the benefits of Bethany is I, Paulette, am there behind my staff who used to work for the state. And so I know all the area administrators and the regional directors personally, and there's a benefit of that, which is unique. But so do a lot of the other directors. I mean, I know a lot of them, and they're great. And so that is a recommendation I definitely have for everybody. If you're going to do it, a private agency is a huge benefit, especially here locally and then on the western side of the state. The eastern side doesn't have as many, but the western side does. We're here and we're strong together. So let's mention the website again because it... Yeah, so our website is bethany.org slash Washington. And if you go in and just say, I want more information, we will help you out. I want to transition to our international program. Yes, because of course, we've been focusing on local or American. So yeah, foster care adoption. But part of the reason why I wanted to come this month also is that the international adoption statistics come out in April, kind of usually sometime in the middle of April. And I definitely want to talk about it because there's been such a huge change in international adoption. International adoptions have dropped significantly in the last decade. In 2004, the number of international adoptions was around 22,000 into the United States. Last year, there were 5,500 international adoptions, which is the lowest number since 1981. That is a significant drop. Correct. Wow. Yeah. And families come in and inquire. We have a lot of people inquiring about international adoption. And then they just are like, oh, no, it's not for me. Back in 2004 to 2007, you could adopt an infant internationally. And it was easy and it was low risk. The birth parents weren't a factor where today the only way to adopt an infant really is through domestic infant adoption. And even that is very hard to do. Or through foster care adoption, and that's even really risky because the birth parents have a right to get that baby back. But international adoption, it's not possible today. And there's so many factors that play out with that. But families are, you know, they know lots of people that went to China and adopted a baby girl. And today that's a nine-year wait list. 
And people don't expect that. They just think, oh, I can go to China and get a baby girl. But you can't today. There's the wait list. And is part of it, though, China perhaps limiting the adoption of their children internationally? Do they yes. want yes. And that really is all countries today that has happened. There really has been a change in the way that adoptions happen internationally. There was a convention that happened called the Hague Convention. And it really put a spotlight internationally on international adoption. One of the things it highlighted was child trafficking around the world and also corruption around international adoption. So one of the things that happened with international adoption was agencies would have to pay governments for quotas. I mean, just like for the amount of adoptions they would be allowed to do. Like that sort of thing would happen, which is crazy, but that's what would happen. And you had to play the game if you wanted to do international adoption. That does not happen today. In fact, it legally can't happen today in most countries. That's not true everywhere. Not every country signed the Hague Convention. The U.S. did, though. And so for us to be an agency doing international adoption, we have to operate around certain rules. That being said, that has really significantly dropped international adoptions around the world. The other thing that's happened, though, is that more and more countries have started to do in-country adoptions. For example, in China, they didn't have a character for the term infant adoption in 2004. As recently as that. Oh. Yes, where today they do, and they do do adoptions in-country. In Ethiopia, it wasn't culturally what happened. Like, people didn't adopt. Bethany Christian Services finalized 80 in-country adoptions last year. In Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. But that means those kids aren't coming overseas. Yes. But research shows if we can have kids stay in their countries, that's incredibly powerful. In South Africa, Bethany helped open the first black-ran child welfare agency last year. And there are children being adopted by South Africans in South Africa. And we've been part of that process. And that's huge. But that's decreasing in the numbers of children available. So in other words, kids are being adopted by families in their country. And that really then parallels what we were talking about earlier, about children being adopted in their own kind of cultural yeah. type of family. So th it, that is ideal, isn't it? It really is. And it, it's better for kids. However, so what's happening, though, is the kids that are available are kids that don't have the same opportunities in their country that they would if they were adopted outside their country. For example, Bethany has a program called the Bamboo Project. I'm going to tell you a story about the Bamboo Project because it's just an incredible story. We have an adoptive mom here locally, Desiree, who is a single mom. She was actually on our board here at Bethany in Seattle. She was just compelled by what we were doing here in Bethany, and she decided she needed to adopt. It was not what she thought God wanted. She's like, no, you're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have children. You're supposed to do that. And she's like, God just didn't have a husband for me, and I want to be a mom, and he's telling me i got to adopt. And so she ended up adopting, and she decided to adopt a Down syndrome child from China. Now, the important part of that story is that China didn't adopt Down syndrome children out because— 
they were cursed. In Chinese culture, that's the case. But she managed to convince them to allow her to adopt this little boy who she now, his name is Isaac. They allowed her to adopt Isaac. So anyway, Isaac came home and the country allowed Isaac to be adopted and then they watched him. Now, Desiree is a pediatric intensive care nurse down in Tacoma. She has been on the news, so I'm okay sharing her story because I just want you to know. Isaac has done so well that China opened Down syndrome adoptions. I mean, like she was the catalyst to allow that. And it's now considered an adoptable condition out of China. Now, in China, if somebody sees a person with Down syndrome, they cross the street. And it's not like it's a curse in China, like culturally. And so for somebody to have Down syndrome in China, it's not an opportunity. Where here, there's a lot of people that think of it as something that's beautiful. Yes. And we look at people with Down syndrome with joy in a lot of ways. And they've accomplished great things. Yes. Yes. And and Desiree has just done beautiful things with Isaac. And so what happened is Bethany started a project called the Bamboo Project. And they had 14 original Down syndrome children that China allowed Bethany to try to place. And all 14 have been placed in families here in the U.S. And so now there are over 250 Down syndrome children available for adoption out of China. And we have a list of them. And so, you know, we have special needs children available for adoption out of China and a whole bunch of them. And if a family wants a really young child, they can get a very, very young child under the age of two out of China with very mild special needs, uh, small heart murmur, um, very moderate CP. And sometimes we find that it's not even CP. It's like it's just a muscle spasm. I mean, like sometimes it's really mild. A cleft lip or palate, which is repairable. Um, A club foot, um, which, once again, repairable. Um, But in China, they just don't have the same issues. Um, I'm going to share a personal story just because it will give you an example. My husband is a physical therapist, and he's gifted at what he does. I'm not going to share where he works because that's not what we're here for. But he goes over to China and teaches physical therapy at universities in China. And... I think of China as this big country and, like, really gifted, but they don't rehab even their Olympic athletes when they're injured. They just dispose of them, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, So if you think about it, they don't have the Michael Phelps in the world. Like, they don't have athletes that repeat in the Olympics because they have billions of people in their country, so they can just bring the next one up. But they're trying to change that. So he's been over at the Chinese Olympic Stadium and has worked with athletes there And I think about him going over, and at times I think, oh, he's helping the competition. But on another level, I think if he can help them, eventually it's going to go down to the orphan. Like you got to change the culture from the top to get it down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. But right now they don't have it at the bottom level. So they don't do anything with kids with special needs. So as an agency that wants the least of these scripturally to be served, every child deserves a family, those orphans need us. So people ask, why do people go overseas to adopt when we have so many kids at home that need families? It's because those kids need families. They need our modern medicine. They need our communities, and they need families that can help them have a life. And they don't have moms and dads. They're in orphanages. Some of them do end up in foster care. We've really, as an agency, been working on that to deinstitutionalize kids because we know having parents— or having 
one person take care of children is important. And so as an agency, we encourage that a lot in the groups that we work with across the world. Such important and amazing stories, such great opportunities for families. And I so appreciate Paulette, the work that you do and that you come here to share these stories with us because it really opens up the world for us, I think, and gives us opportunities to navigate and create that for ourselves because we don't know who might be hearing this and saying, that's for me this morning. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So let's mention the website again. It's bethany.org slash Washington. And you can also call. It's 206 367 4604 or bethany.org slash Washington, Bethany Christian Services. And trainings, classes are available, one starting tomorrow. Yes, starting Um, tomorrow, May 9th. Yeah. If you guys are going to come, please just give us a call and let us know because it'll make life a little easier. Give us a heads up so we're prepared for you. Excellent. Yes. Well, Paulette Caswell, it's been wonderful, as usual, to have this important conversation. Thank you so greatly. Thank you.